Hello and welcome to the 40 Athletes Podcast. Before we get started, be sure to sign up for our free course on how to develop courage. The link is in the description below and it will give you tips and strategies to help you teach your child how to have more courage. Now let's begin. Welcome to episode 77 of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jim Huber. And today we're going to kind of switch it up a little bit, kind of throw a little curveball. And I'm going to interview uh, one of my great friends and also co-founder of 40 Athletes, Jason Holzer. And he's going to share a story with you and talk about how that story has created a desire within him to be on a mission to be able to transform people's lives, to create true mental fitness, that we have an end to depression, anxiety, and suicide. So I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be very inspiring. And Jason is a three times best-selling author. He's a co-founder of 40 Athletes, as I mentioned. And, you know, he's been, I think, over, he to probably tell me, maybe I could be wrong on this, but almost over like 12 to 15 years, been an educator. He's been an athletic administrator. He's been a, a basketball coach. Um, he's just worked with parents and kids and people at, at many different levels and has a lot of experience. But most importantly, he's a father and a husband. So I'm going to bring Jason in on the show today. Let's get him in here. Jason. Hey. How are we doing today? Jimmy, thanks for the intro, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, doing well. It's uh, got to play outside, you know, speaking of that, you know, with your kids. You know, it's, it's been so warm here that in the morning times is like the best time to get out. So we got outside this morning, hit the ball around a little bit, played with some cars, rode some bikes all before nine o'clock. So it's been a good morning. There you go. And spending time in the important things in life. I love that. Um, so we've had a lot of discussions over the years and I've gotten to know you. I didn't know about you when I first met you back in the day when you started doing a, an internship with me. Um, but what I found out um, over the years has really kind of helped me become a better person and inspired me as well. So with this being like mental health month um, and we talked about it, like, let's share the story. Let's talk about it. So if you can take me back a little bit in your childhood and kind of a situation that took place that really kind of shattered your life a little bit, mm -hmm. but it propelled you in becoming the person you are today. Yeah, it was actually... Uh... You know, 19 years ago um, now, so almost to the date um, that I uh, was 17 years old. Uh, I woke up um, like a normal day going to uh, high school and uh, it ended up not being such a normal day because I was pulled out of class, my third hour class. You know, I drive to school. Everything seems to be like kind of normal. My mom woke up that morning. She was, you know, kind of in a she was emotionally like just kind of out of it and she's she blamed it on a stomach ache and i'd never seen my mom visibly cry over a stomach ache so that was like my first warning sign right like huh something feels weird so anyways i, I go to school and you know third hour hits it's the third class today it's about you know mid-morning or so i'm taking this algebra 2 test right and uh office calm they call me out of class and i was like hmm that's weird and especially because the teacher I had, you didn't get out of class for anything, but they're like, no, he needs to come now. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know if you ever had any of those moments in where like something like it wasn't going right. And then like just chills go through your spine, like in a negative way, like, huh, this just feels off. 
And so that's what happened. And so I walk up to the front office and then they're like, Hey, my aunt and uncle are there. I was like, they never picked me up or, you know, so their kids go to a different high school. So again, all of these kind of things is just different. So like, Hey, we're going to go to the hospital because your dad's had an accident is what they tell me. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, he was an electrician, you know, so that's obviously could very easily have happened and okay, no big deal. You know, things will be tough for a little bit, but she's still around. He's fine. You know, we'll, we'll make it through. Dad's always been somebody that's always overcome anything that's ever happened to him. I've never, never saw him get down about anything for too long. Well, we go, um, we go out of school and I grew up in the rural areas and country area and we head that way. So we're heading the opposite way of where the hospital is at. Again, like, like red flags, like flying up, like what's happening. And I remember as we're driving home, this is like one of my first real uh, intuitive moments, right? So not a really great first one, but I was like, someone told me like, oh, he's gone. Like, I was like, thinking, oh, I think my dad passed away. Didn't know how, didn't know anything, but like just sitting in the car, looking out the window, I was like, man. And so when I get home, you know, there's cars everywhere, like up and down our street and our driveway. My whole, both sides of my family are at my house. Like it would be like a holiday or like a wedding or something like that, you know? And I walk in and my and there's just tears everywhere. There's, there's Kleenex boxes everywhere. And I was like, oh gosh, dad, like, I think my dad really did pass away. And so my mom comes out, she takes us to my room, sits us on a bed, on my bed and she goes, uh, you know, dad passed away this morning. And at first I didn't know how either, but then whenever I asked how, she goes, well, he took his own life. And from there, like, you know, there was one thing to hear that he passed, but then another way, like he died by suicide at a whole nother complexity to it. So, you know, and I think today actually was the day of his funeral about 19 years ago. And so those three days were a whirlwind of emotions, uh, like feeling every kind of emotion so much where I felt like it was emotional overload and I went numb too. So like in up and down that emotional roller coaster of trying to, trying to understand the complexity of grief of suicide, not just grief of losing a loved one. And you, you're talking about being like what? 17, 17. Yeah. 17. Almost, almost 18, but yeah, 17. Yep. What is like, you know, when you're sitting there thinking, okay, my dad's not here anymore. He died. And that's, that's, you know, losing your loved one. That's hard enough. But then when you hear that he committed suicide, he took his own life. What are the thoughts that are going through? Is there like the frustration? Is it anger? Is it like, you know, is it regret? Is there certain things you wonder like what you did or could have done differently or what, what goes on? The first thing I thought of was like, what could I have done differently? Was it me? Was it like you, like almost at first it starts off with the, the blame. Like you think like I could have done something differently or I could have been a better son. I could have been, I did, was there something I wasn't doing? Like you go back and you think of like, you know, man, could I have told him I loved him more? Could I have been more helpful around the house? Could I have done something, you know? And then it goes to like shame on him for doing that to us, right? Leaving us like that is what I felt. So the, re the resentment piece, the 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 anger piece of it like you know and all this stuff was internal i, I didn't 
and I and I never went to counseling because I didn't think I needed it. Right, my ego isn't like, oh, I can handle this. I can tough through it, and I didn't understand the importance of seeing professionals on this, right? Of of working through this, right? And my my mom offered, she was she suggested it, but again, it's only so much you can tell a seventeen or eighteen year old, right? Going through something like this. So, you know, I went through a lot of unresolved trauma that I tried to deal with on my own, which meant suppressing it, not feeling it, and acting like everything was okay, right? Which, as we all know, doesn't doesn't work, right? So um which led to me overthinking a lot. It led to me like not really, I feel like I was enough. Like I lost a lot of my confidence too because of the person that I looked up to the most just left us in a, in a way that was very um, like he's here one day and then he's gone the next, you know, couldn't prepare for it. Didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. You know, I think like there wasn't the closure either, you know, so uh, that's a lot of it. Um, in a nutshell, how do you, when you talk about the judge, you know, feeling guilt, like you're judging yourself as like maybe, and people, you know, have experienced, you know, suicide and probably like yourself are going through that. Like you're judging you. I could have done this. I should have done that. Or you're judging the individual that took their life. Why did they do this? What, you know, negative, negative feelings about them. How do you get through that judgment? Mm-hmm. Uh, not only yourself, but the person that took their life to get to the freedom. I think one thing I learned recently was it's, it's been like the last three or four years, like understanding some of the reasons why people take their own lives. Like it's not, they actually feel like they're doing you a favor because they're in such a tough place. They're hurting so bad that and when I learned that I got curious, I was like, man, what was happening in his life that made him seem like that was the only way. And it took a while, but through um, perspective, through trying to see things through his eyes on maybe what was going on in his life and, you know, a sense of forgiveness, like letting go of those things and trying to, um, because you realize it's for your best benefit of, of forgiveness, of thinking of, you know, if I, if I can learn to, to see his perspective and, understand him i can forgive him and then if i can forgive him then i can move forward with my own personal healing because you can't do that until you learn to let go of those resentments towards somebody else because what i've learned is that anything i hold on to somebody else resentment anger judgment i'm also doing it to myself you know so and that took a while it took a long time for me to get to that space it didn't happen overnight it probably took uh good 10, 15 years for me to really understand the value of forgiveness perspective and how it can help me move forward after feeling left behind. And it's not only like we've talked about, it's not only forgiving the other person, but forgiving yourself, mm-hmm. you know, forgiving you. But I think we've talked about is, you know, because uh, I've talked to you about like, there's things in my life that have happened that I hold on to this this frustration, this anger, this bitterness, whatever I have towards somebody that I felt like they did something maybe wrong to me. And the more I've studied, the more I've learned that it doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts me because these negative emotions held within the body is not healthy. Mm-hmm. So how did you go about being able to forgive? What are some strategies that you would give to people that are struggling with 
holding resentment, holding anger, holding these negative emotions within, how do they release it and forgive not only themselves, but other people as well? Um, you know, the first thing I did was, was journal the, the, about the things that I felt within like the anger. Cause you know, cause it was hard for me to talk to people about it. Um, and to help me really understand myself, I just wrote down what I was feeling just to get it out of my head and into, into on a piece of paper. Right. So like able to release some of those negative emotions. And then I asked myself, do I want to feel this way? And I didn't want to, like, I, you know, I have a wife, two kids, you know, I want the best for them. And so I, I wrote down, well, what do I want to feel? And I started thinking about the opposite, right. Of, you know, what does joy look like? Happiness, confidence, all those things. And what I found was the best way to do that was to feel the pain of whatever somebody had done to you for a minute or so, see their perspective. And then you simply say out loud, like, I forgive you. And it's okay. Like you can be, you can do it by yourself. You can do it in the privacy of your own space. But I did that over and over and over again. I started small too. I started with forgiving small things like uh, maybe somebody cut me off in the, in the road or, you know, things like that. Or maybe I didn't get a job that I hoped for or something. And, and then I worked up to that, that big thing in my life that I really needed to forgive the most. So I started small, something little, and I really built up till I got to that big point of being able to forgive, forgive my dad. And when I did that, I felt like this emotional, like, like, you know, like the weight, like I felt lighter. I felt like I wasn't carrying as much emotional weight. You know, I felt like I could uh, smile more. I felt like I'd be happier more. You know, it was, it was kind of amazing. The, the lift that I felt from really getting into that deep forgiveness. Well, that's why they talk about what joy comes from within. And we sometimes, you know, the external circumstances around us, we try to, you know, whether it's, you know, like I said, losing a loved one or, and that's quite a bit different than like wanting to get a car or wanting to get a home or wanting and mm -hmm. like, if these things would happen a certain way, we'll feel a certain way, but it only lasts for a short period of time. Right. Yeah. And that joy, like it's that inside game of creating that joy from within. Right. Well, yeah. And cause you think about it, Jim, like, and you and I have talked about this before, but we're all searching for similar things. We want, to feel happy we want to feel um you know satisfied with what we're doing we want to feel like we have purpose you know all these things that we want to feel and so many times we look externally for them and that's what i was doing right i was trying to fill a void from losing my dad maybe it's with friendships or maybe it's with like if i have this certain job or if i have this or if i have this certain house then i'll feel happy and i'll be able to get over losing my dad and every time i you know quote unquote got what i wanted the job the you know, the car, the whatever it is, it was fine for a while, but then it just like anything new becomes old. And I was like, gosh, this isn't working. So I really tried to start focusing on myself, my relationship with myself. And, and, and in my book, I talk about, you have to love yourself first. Like you can't give what you don't have. Right. And so learning how to love who you are and accept who you are, where you're at, but knowing you're going to get better was one of my also my main steps after i got through that forgiveness piece of like nobody ever taught me how to love jason right nobody taught me like oh i mean i should love who i am so that way i can express it to other people right it was always hey you know you help other people you do kind things you but nobody taught me how to say kind of words to myself
you know, or nobody taught me how to, you know, self-care was not selfish, right? You know, so, um, but it was always taught, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. Well, I know how I wanted to be treated. So how can I treat other people that way if I'm unsure how to love who I am, you know? Well, that that's something I want to dive into. You mentioned earlier, you said, so you struggle with self-image, your self-worth. Um, and you talked about when, when you're younger, we've been in a conversation that you're kind of bullied when you're in about like sixth grade and that, mm -hmm. but then you lose your dad at 17. And you mentioned part of it was like, does my dad love me? Did he care for me? Mm -hmm. Am I not enough? So we talked about like, you know, you never outperform your self-image. And a lot of the issues that we struggle with today is a lot of people's self-worth, right? The self-worth they have about themselves, the way they feel about themselves. So when you're struggling with your self-image and wondering like, are you worthy? Your dad left. He's not around anymore. Um, what did you do to develop a stronger self-image and a love, as you mentioned, for yourself to have this self-worth that you could, you know, live and fill your life and your dreams and everything you desire to do? You know, I the one thing that's been constant and I'll give my parents a ton of credit for is building the foundation of, of living a faith filled life of spirituality. And, and, and I, you know, grow up Catholic, still go to, uh, still go to Catholic church, that kind of thing. But I'm talking more spirituality of like believing that, you know, God will do great things for you. If you stick with it, if you hang in there, if you build a resiliency of never giving up. And the one thing I asked for, I remember this, I was probably, I don't know, 19 or so. I asked for mentors. I was like, God, and you're asking, you shall receive, right? And I believe that, you know, somewhere along the line, God would give me the right person or people to guide me with the things that I thought I would be able to learn from my dad. And so I asked for mentors. I was like, God, give me mentors. And the first guy was a young life leader. You know, then in college, I had a great group of friends that, you know, they were on the right path. They were making the right choices in college to keep me from doing things that would be detrimental or holding me back. So I was able to find the right group of people to hang out with in college. To I got my degree, you know, and I found, I met my wife has been a strong support system for me. You know, Jim, I met you, you know, and through a friend in, um, and as I've gone on and, and gone through this, and even when I wrote my book, I was like, huh, I need who, and it was funny because my young life leader's wife wrote a book. And so I was like, Hey, what'd you do? So I, I just learned to, you know, see what other people are doing that I want to be like and try to imitate them as much as possible while still working on that inner game of like, I'm worthy, I'm deserving, I can do this, I believe in myself, you know, like constantly saying like those things that where you're humble, but you still, that there's that sense of like confidence in that belief line where like you're not, you know, you still be able to be bold and strong and go for what you want, but you're not arrogant or you're not boastful or that kind of thing, which is a, it's a tricky balance. Right. But that's the one thing I did too, was I really sought out mentors to help me get where I want to go, you know, and, and then trust that these are the right people that will help me with that. Well, that's one thing you mentioned is like the inner critic. And I think getting it out, like we're our worst enemy. You know, we talk about it, the inner game. Um, we say things to ourselves that we wouldn't allow someone to say to a loved one of ours, right? Mm -hmm. Even a friend yeah. of ours. And, but we still say it to ourselves. So I think that's one thing you've talked to me about is watching what you're saying to yourself. And when mm -hmm. you're saying a negative, maybe a message, a thought or whatever, you shift it and you, 
you input something positive and then you aren't saying these negative things out loud. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit too? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, your mind, it, you have like 70,000 thoughts a day and, you know, um, a lot of them are repeated over, like almost like 90% of them repeat them over and over again. So you're going to have things that pop in your head, right. That are going to be like, Oh, where'd that come from? But I think the key thing is labeling them and identifying them and noticing like that. That's not, that's, that's not something that's going to serve me. So you learn to let it go. Like you learn to like let it pass. And then things that are going to help you, you know, it's like, what do I, what do I truly want in life? So many people will focus on what we don't want. It's like, no, like, what do we like, man, I want, happy, healthy kids. I want a great relationship with my wife. I want, you know, to live in a life that where, you know, things are available to me that I resources and that kind of thing to help me serve my purpose, you know, those kind of stuff. And so when you get more in the uh, feelings of what you do want in life, as opposed to what you don't, then you kind of start walking that path and you feel more excited. You feel more confident. You start seeing things coming your way like, Oh, okay. I remember Bob Proctor said, like, you set a goal, right? And what we don't realize is that the more we walk towards that goal, that goal is also walking towards us. I was like, when I heard that, I was like, oh, wow. Because we always feel like we're always trying to, here's a here's a, a milestone or a goal. We're just trying to meet there. We're like, well, I know it's kind of it's a coming together thing. So that was a cool thing for me was realizing, oh, even though I can't see it with my eyes, I can still see it with my mind coming towards me. And a lot of it's patience, too, like, you know, patience and discipline practicing the things of positivity over and over and over again, because the enemy is within and it, and it never goes away. Right. And so you have to constantly train your mind to, to focus on what you want to be focused on. Anytime a thought slips in there that you don't want to be a part of, you got to be able to, you know, shift and let it pass like clouds in the sky. Don't reject it per se, but like, Oh, I see you up there. I recognize you. Cause I think the key thing is most people don't label their thoughts. They don't, you know, they, they, they're up there, they're in their head, but they don't call them out, if you will. They don't get rid of them. They just let them sit there. And all of a sudden, they're starting feeling these emotions. They don't understand why they're feeling a certain way. I was like, well, you know, like, it's all directed to how we think, you know? So, um, and, and a story on that, like, I remember the one thing I did too a lot was I got myself out of my comfort zone. Like, whenever I started coaching with Moke and I walked in, there's like these division one guys, there's like coaches that coach in college. And here I am this 25 year old, like just trying to help out. And I was like, I felt super uncomfortable. The, the Craig was like, man, what are you doing here? Like, you don't belong here. You didn't, you played one year high school basketball. What are you doing here? You don't like, you can't. And so I was like, but I kept just showing up and I kept showing up. And eventually I was like, as, as, as uncomfortable as I felt and as much as sometimes I wanted to run out the door, cause I wasn't sure what I was doing. I stuck with it. Right. So I would tell I, I, which if you really want something like just keep showing up and it's okay to feel uncomfortable because that means you're you're getting to where you want to go that's how you grow is, is getting out of that comfort zone well let's let's go back um so you know, your dad is 17 we talk about committing suicide going through a, a tragic time difficulty um and you talk about it, it was you know going through years of it what could you tell individuals like myself and people that haven't experienced something like that, but maybe they are around somebody or see somebody that does go through that? How can they support those individuals? What is the support that you receive that you feel like you're blessed to have had? And then what are some things like you wish people would have done to support you more going through 
that difficult process? Um, one thing that a lot of my friends did was they were like asking me like, Hey, get me out of the house or like, you know, they, they had, they would go do things that I enjoyed a lot. You know, they would, um, offer to, you know, maybe we'd go catch a baseball game or maybe we'd go to, you know, favorite restaurant or things that, you know, were able to get me out of my, you know, my, my environment to help me bring me like a positive environment to help me see like, Hey, things can get better. You know, I was, and they never really like, unless I specifically said, Hey, I need to talk to somebody or I need to talk to, like, I'm not feeling, they just let me like, like it was a normal person. Like they didn't try to like bring it up all the time. They didn't try to ask how I was doing all the time. I mean, it was normal, like normal conversation, but they really just were, were there. Like, you know, I think that's the key thing is, Hey, they were there. If I needed somebody to listen to, they were, they would just listen. They wouldn't try to fix it. They would just like hear me out. And the one thing I wish I would have had like more support from my, my friends was like, Hey, we should go to counseling. Like, like if my, if my best friend told me, Hey, let's, let's, I'll, I'll take you there. You know, maybe not my mom or a relative or somebody that's too close to you, but like a friend or somebody that's like, and, and the resources weren't as, as available back then in 2003 as they are now, but that would be my suggestion for peers to encourage other people to seek professional help because you and I know, Jim, you know, the most influential people in kids' lives are the people that they hang around with their, their own, their own peer group. So if you can get, uh, somebody like, you know, if you're, if you're a teenager or a young adult to encourage your friends to do it and even maybe even do it with them, because like, if somebody does it with you, you're more likely to do it as well. That's the one thing I would suggest is getting professional help sooner is one thing I wish I would have done. Well, I think also we talked about is like sometimes getting counseling, getting that professional help seems like it's weakness, right? Mm -hmm. You're a weak individual. Why do you got to do that? And you finally came to a point where you decided to get counseling, right? And it happened just recently. So it's almost like, I mean, Been, many yeah, years 19 years. Yeah. Big, can you talk about that experience and that maybe you talk about you wish you would have done it earlier, but you finally did it. Yeah, it was, you know, you always found excuses like, oh, well, you know, I'll do it later or oh, I'll do it whenever I have time or as opposed to making the time for it. And then at some point I was like, you know what? Um, the time is now. And I felt like, you know, just coming out of a, you know, we're out of the pandemic, you know, a lot of stuff we went through with, you know, I was, I was teaching every day with masks on as well, you know, for like the last two years, like all that kind of stuff. The things that, um, and I just had a triggering moment too, where we lost a, one of our dads at, at the school I'm at passed away by suicide. And then a lot of things like, you know, that was my moment. I was like, Hmm, I need to go get counseling because it was, it was a moment where like everything happened. And I felt like I was thrown like your emotions. throw you back to where that, that event happened. Like it happened yesterday again. So I didn't want to like, relive all that like deep emotional to where it affected me significantly. So I was like, I need to do it now. You know, I need to do it. And that, and that was the moment where I was like, okay, I didn't do it the first time. Shame on me, but I'm not going to do it the second time. You know, so that's where I was like, I signed up. You know, I've had three sessions now. And it's always nice having somebody that is unbiased, not connected. They can hear your words. They can see your body language. They can hear your tone of voice. And they can ask questions on that. They really get you to understand like, oh, I didn't realize that. They help you become more aware of what's going on within which is key. That's, that's the war we need to win is the one within.
well, we've talked about this, like suicide, it, it, you could, you could be rich, you could be poor, you could be a, a, a certain race, certain gender, it doesn't matter, certain mm-hmm. age. And you see, like we, we've noticed, like, you, you know, you got college ap- athletes that are succeeding, that have, you know, at a high level, that have had a lot of success, that commit suicide. Um, what could you tell me and what you've learned through the years, like, what can people do to maybe identify if somebody's struggling and feel like maybe they're at a point where that's going to possibly take place? And if so, also, what are things that people can do to help individuals? As you mentioned, people aren't really, they're not committing suicide in their life. They're trying to end their thoughts because mm-hmm. they feel like there's no hope. Yeah. Um, you know, things to look for are, um, you know, if uh, personality changes, right? They're consistently like, you know, easy going, happy, but then maybe they become extra extroverted or they're trying to seek more attention or maybe they're, you know, super quiet. All of a sudden they are, you know, super outgoing and it's like on a dime, like it flips. Now it's not a gradual growth change. It's like they're this one day or maybe they're super extroverted and then all of a sudden they're quiet. They're isolating themselves. They're not, you know, coming around as much or you don't hear from them as often like you would, you know, those kind of things. Um, and especially if it happens over, you know, if it's like a week or so and they're still like, you know, 10 days, then those are things that are like, man, you haven't, you haven't been yourself like over the, like the last week, 10 days, like what's going on? You know, is there's, you know, I've no, and I think the key thing is like, you start with, I, I notice statements or I feel statements like, Hey, I, I've noticed you, you've changed a little bit. Like, is everything okay? There's something happening. I think asking those open-ended questions is key. And then, you know, our friend Leslie that we had on our podcast, you know, if you text 741-741 and you text home to the number, that's like a texting line where you can have a therapist help you um, with the text, you know, which is what a lot of people use these days. They, they communicate through texting too. So um, that's been a, a, a easy resource because again, it's 741, 741. It's like one, two, three, one, two, three. It's really easy to text in. Um, so that's what I found the most efficient way to, you know, help people. And, and I think you can even text it. If you noticed a friend, somebody of your, in your life, that's even having problems, I would like, they can, you can text for them to get them the help that they need. I think. So is it, what, what are some of the, like when you see somebody that's going through that and maybe they're going through depression, anxiety, or you feel like they're at a point where they're thinking about taking their life or they're, things that you feel like, like even like say your dad and you could go back in time, things you would do to maybe check in on them, um, things you would say to make them feel better about themselves some life and give them some hope. You know, I think the one thing is uh, our, all of our, our basic need um, is that if whenever you feel uh, seen, heard and valued, then I think that it helps. It gives you a sense of like, you know, purpose, right? So, you know, like making sure other people feel seen in a, in a healthy way. Like, hey, you know what? I, I see you trying your best there, and I know you failed a few times, but you know, stay with it. You're on to something. You're doing great. And then valued, like, you know, hey, I really value who you are as a person. You make my life better. Like saying things like that. Like people, are like, oh, I, I do. Like, I'm glad you're around. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that you're in my life. You know that because I think people that die by suicide, they see, they, they feel like nobody will care if I'm gone 
or they'll think like, oh, you know what, nobody will miss me, or they'll they get in this this spiral of of feeling like they don't matter, right? Whenever you feel seen, heard, and valued. And again, listening is key. Like if somebody tells you something, like, you know, we hear stuff a lot, but I know I need to do a better job myself of, of actively listening, of actively like hearing it, not just what they say, but how they say it, right? And not having to have a solution. But I think if, you know, if more people like, oh, I felt heard today. Oh, somebody cares enough about me to spend the time to hear what I have to say. So feeling feeling heard, feeling seen, feeling valued, I think is a great way and an unprofessional advice to help people feel like I matter. That people like it would it people would care that I'm that I'm gone, kind of thing. So maybe I should, you know, take care of myself, right? That's a, you know, we've talked about a lot, of course, mental faculties that we have to create a life we desire. And one of them is perspective. It's kind of the point of view. And we've talked about too, kind of shifting your point of view, how you look at something. Um, and there's that, you know, kind of Chinese proverb that tell that, you know, things are happening in a farmer's life and it keeps they, you know, people come to him and say, oh, that's great. Or, oh, that's bad. And he's like, good thing, bad thing. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Don't know. And you've talked about like the tragedy of your dad not being in your life anymore um, was hard and you wish he was here, but there's been some good you've been able to find through it. And I think one of the things you talked about is, is the importance of being a father for your Mm -hmm. children and the great husband. Can you talk about like how maybe it's inspired you to be a better father and things that you're doing to make sure that you're connecting with your children and you're giving them the tools and the skill sets and the mindset to succeed in life. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like you said, good thing, bad thing, who knows? And if you can find, and, and again, this takes time. Like I, I've been on a 19 year journey of figuring out like, how does my dad's suicide benefit my life? Right. That's not something that you would put hand in hand together. Right. But, I have taken less things for granted and I have realized too, that man, kids grow up so fast. Like my, my oldest is going to be in kindergarten this year. And I was like, I remember bringing him home from the hospital. I'm like, how is this happening already? You know? And so when they're young, like five and three, and I know Jim, your kids are, you know, younger than 10 as well. I read that the most influential person in their life up until about 11, 12 years old is the same gender parent. I was like, Whoa. Like when I read that, I was like, I have two boys. They're under 11 years old. I'm their biggest influence right now. Like that's, that's significant, you know, like that. So like not taking that lightly. And, and I know like fatherhood is a big deal, but it's really gotten me even more. So like I've, you know, taken parenting courses, learn from parenting experts about emotional intelligence, about, you know, kid child development, what they're feeling at certain ages, like why they have, why they do what they do. So I can again, better understand them to help guide them through some of their, you know, big moments in life. Cause everything, I think one thing we forget about as, you know, whenever we have kids is that what we've done a hundred times or whatever, they've never done it before. So they're going to be either nervous, excited or scared way more than we are because this is their first time for a lot of this thing. You know, they have a lot of stuff going on. You know, growing up as a kid is very uncomfortable all the time because there's always something going on. That's new. That's different. And so so I think one thing that I've realized is like, man, how can I make sure that I break the cycle of what happened with my dad, take care of myself 
and what are the things I can do to be a great dad? And one of them is like, I put on my calendar specifically family time. Like, you know, this time from like seven to eight 30 in the morning, five to seven 30 at night, five to eight o'clock at night, family time. And unless it's a very important, you know, unless it's something that is you know, significant, I hold, I try to hold true to that as best I can. And one thing I'm really trying to get better at myself too, is, you know, eliminating distractions, putting, you know, putting everything away where I can literally just be more present with them. So that way, whenever my kids look back, they're like, man, in a time where my dad could have been a hundred places, either, even if he was in the house or not, he chose to be with us, you know, hang out with us, play with us, teach us stuff, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is like, just schedule time in your calendar. Cause I know if I don't feel like me, Jim, if it's not on my calendar, it probably doesn't happen or it's less likely to happen. So um, that's the one thing I would recommend for sure is, is spending quality time with your family as much as you can daily. If you travel, even doing FaceTime is better than nothing, but schedule that time with them at least, you know, two hours, two and a half hours, three hours a day. Um, you know, weekends, you know, very rarely do I allow anything to come in time with like, those are the times where we actually get to go out and do things to have the time to do fun things as well. So, um, you know, it's interesting about that too. I feel like us as parents, we have a responsibility. We're molding and shaping our children. And we've talked about this, Jason, where um, I, you know, I, I take that as a responsibility and kids brains, the studies research show just brains in general, don't really fully develop until the age of 26. Mm -hmm. So for me is I really we talked about this as parents, too. I I personally myself like watch what I say, what I do, how I act, even the things that I do around the house. Like I have my morning routine where I'll do meditation, prayer time. You know, I'll study. I do my exercise. I do these incantations, affirmations that I do. Right. And have stuff playing. And, and, and they'll ask me questions about it. And I'll talk to them about my mind developing it for success and what I'm doing, training the mind. So the body will follow. Mm -hmm. And I know that's stuff that you do, even with your children, you'll talk to them about things like that. So they understand truly who they are and the power that they have within them to create a life they truly desire. And I even do this too. I'll even ask him like questions, you know, cause the mind is a uh, answer searching mechanism. I'm like, Lewis, Hey bud, why are you so kind today, man? Why are you such a great friend? You know, why are you so helpful? Because when you can have them like, because the goal is to get them to think, right? You want them to think and like, and they don't realize it. But if I ask him, hey, why are you so helpful? He's like, oh, why am I so helpful? So he'll start searching for reasons. And again, he's five. It's not perfect. But what I've noticed is like, you know, whenever his his teachers talk about him in school, is that he, he's a great friend. It was like he cares about other people. He helps us out, you know. He has his moments, right? He's five. You know, there's going to be some times like, oh, you know, he was off today. I was like, oh, that's cool. But overall, and I see the way that kids run to him. And like kids are excited whenever he walks in the door. And he's a very shy kid, too. He's like, he does not want people to come, but they'll give him a hug, like that kind of thing. And I was like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm always going to get better, but I think that we're on the right path of trying to help him become the best version of himself just by I like to observe him and sometimes whenever I go like because he, he's at the same school I teach at and I'm walking in and they're playing on the playground. So I like to watch him and observe him, like how he's interacting with other people. And you know, it's fun to watch him play because like you kind of see like who they are when you're not around. 
And I think that's like they're going to have their moments because I've learned that their safe place is at home. So they'll have probably their emotional breakdowns, their toughest moments when they're with you because that's when they feel safe. So who they are whenever they are not around you is always interesting to watch them because they're, it's almost like they're like, like nine day, like this isn't the same kid that gives me a hard time at home. Like who's like, but it's, it's good to see, like give me the tough stuff so we can work on that. So whenever you go out, you know how to handle it, you know? So. Well, that goes back to like, we talk about self-worth building that in with your kids because, you know, I'll, I'll tell my kids, you know, all the time, cause I see this, you know, you hear it a lot where people are like, I, I don't know if my mom and dad loves me. Mm-hmm. You, you see adults like, I don't know if my mom or dad ever loved me. And, I'll, and so I'll tell like, you know, my kids, I'll be like, hey, you know, hey, Caden or Grace, who, who loves you? Who loves you? They'll be like, daddy loves me. That's right. Mm-hmm. What I love you for. And they'll be like, for what you do or who you are. Not for who I am, daddy. And like your blessing from who? Blessing from God. And then talk about how you're created in mama's womb, man. God created this image and likeness of you and he created greatness and he's within you and form you to do these great things. And, the, and then I'll you constantly tell him like, you know, I love you. He loves you. Like, Daddy, I know that. Quintana. And like, you're not going to go a day without hearing. I love you because when you get older, you're around people. People are like, well, I wonder if my mom or dad loved me or whatever. You're like, well, I know my daddy loves me. Mm-hmm. Right? And we talk about that, like making sure that that loves expressed, that they feel it and they know it. And they you love them for them, not for what they do. And I'll even ask my kids, like, hey, how can daddy be better? You know, is there something mm-hmm. because I might be thinking I'm doing okay. like the other day, like my oldest was like, daddy, sometimes it's like you you have a mean voice. I was like, oh, OK, so I need to be more like sometimes I was like, OK, let me think about it. I was like, well, maybe I was frustrated, you know, certain happening. I was like, oh, thank you for telling me. I, I tell them thank you a lot because, you know, you want to model what they see. So like. Hey, thank you for telling me. I want to I want to create an environment where they feel free that they can speak up or they can share what's on their mind because you know, sometimes that's tough in households of like feeling like they can't speak up or like hey, you know, here's a grown up, here's a kid, you listen to what I say, like very traditional authoritarianism where I like I don't feel like I feel like there's a just a like as anything, you know, my parents probably did better, did had more resources than what their parents did and we have more resources than what our parents did. So it's an evolving a parenting of like incorporating the child's voice, you know, cause that's how they find their own is like being able to speak up to the parents and sharing what's going on, like sharing like how they feel because kids are very honest. Typically. Like the last stuff they say is probably true. If they're, if it's, if, it, if they're sharing it out of emotion or just out of a, out of a comment, you know, there's, there's always some truth in what they're saying. So I think it's important not to be defensive about it, but listen and hear some of their pain points and like, okay, no, Hey, daddy's sorry about that. And I apologize to him. I let him know I'm going to do better because I think the kids also need to see like, I'm not perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have my, my moments. Cause then you get them to see like, Oh, okay. Daddy's, you know, he's human. Just like me. It's that relatability factor too. Yeah. And I'll tell them at times, like you said, Jason, like, thank you for helping me become better mm-hmm. because your, your children can help you become better as people as well. And, and as we transition, something I want to transition into is 40 athletes. You and I, we, you know, been around each other, um, you know, with basketball, doing a lot of coaching and things like that. And then we were driving back from a camp in Minneapolis and I talked to you about an idea. I said, you know what? I said, what bothers me in youth sports and sports in general is I feel like there's this talk. 
about like, oh, hey, sports, you know, develops people and sports does this and sports. And they always talk about how sports does this in a positive way for individuals. And I was like, you know, Jason, I hear that being said, but I truly don't believe that's the case of what happens, especially a lot of times within youth sports. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more of like the win at all costs. It's, um, you know, if you do really well, you're admired and loved. But if you don't, then maybe you're cast off. Um you know, it's it's like and individuals aren't really learning the life skills, the character traits that help them succeed, help to manage their mind. So you've been on a journey to go into kind of personal development to grow yourself. And as you've done that, you've kind of gotten this higher level awareness level and you realize like, gosh, I wish I'd had that when I was younger. Right. And we oh, talked yeah. about that. Like it would be great if kids were taught certain things, the personal development experts say that individuals, all kids should have, it's a billion dollar industry, right? And adults are seeking for it because they're struggling in life. Why are we not teaching it to the kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the things that, you know, how do like how do I raise confident kids or how do I, you know, happiness, you know, those kind of things, all those self-image stuff, like developing them. And, and the cool thing about sports is like, it's, it's real time, right? It's like, you know, you have that moment where you can share like those, um, those things with them and you can, you can have them teach them them lessons that will go with them the rest of their life. You know, you and I talked about, you know, most kids will be done with a certain sport by 13, right? Whether they're done playing baseball or done shooting a basketball and those skills are great to have, you know, but they, they're not going to serve you in a way that's going to help you support yourself where learn how to have a positive attitude, being courageous, overcoming your fears, learning how your mind works, you know, great decision-making skills, all those things, man, you know, those are lifelong skills that you're going to continue to progress and develop. So why not introduce it to them younger? And I think, and I think also like, you know, you and I talked about this too, helping parents understand like, Hey, don't be used by sports, but use sports in a way that's going to help your family, you know, have a great experience together. Like how many times do you feel like, you know, parents are going five different directions because somebody got to go here, they got to go here. Then they feel like if they don't, if they don't get that to to their certain spot or on that certain team, they're going to be left behind. They're always like chasing the, you know, chasing the the rabbit ahead of them. And it's like, you know, they're going down a rabbit hole of like, well, what did I really run after here? What am I really trying to do? And I think that's where, you know, understanding like your kid's expectation of what sports is and what your expectation and getting on that same level is key. Because if your kid's going just to hang out with their buddies, you want them to make it to the majors, there's a difference of like, you know, you got to bring yours down to them and say, Hey, okay, let's make sure that you get what you want out of sports as opposed to what I think you want out of sports. Well, that's the other thing we talked about too, is like with parenting in sports, a lot of parents, they have low level awareness in sports. I mean, if I was raising my kids when I was 25, 27 and, you know, not being like 50 raising my kids and having the different level of awareness, it'd probably be a different experience for my kids. But Mm-hmm. I really think sometimes parents don't make it a great experience for the kids and get their kids burned out. And like, for example, I was, uh, we're eating dinner last night as a family and Caden has a soccer game this weekend. We're talking about the schedule and, and I couldn't make it last week's out of basketball camp. And I was like, I, I hate missing his, his activities, but I'm like, I'm going to be at this one. And he's like, Oh daddy, I don't want you to be there. And he was kind of joking with me. I go, what, what are you talking about? He's like, Oh, you're on the sideline going, Hey, Caden, you doing this and yelling out? And I go, dude, I, you know, and I know I don't do that. 
like I said, I just sit there. I told Kate, mm-hmm. I sit there and I watch. Mm-hmm. And I'll cheer and sports you, but you're playing. I'm not going to sit there, go chase the ball, go get this, go to the guy. Yeah. I see parents doing this on the sideline being crazy. I'm like, it's your it's your experience. I, I, long, you're playing, giving good effort, being a great teammate, having a positive attitude, and trying to make mistakes, whatever, just go play. I'm going to support you. I love you, man. But I really feel like that's the only thing we talk about in sports, trying to really, the 40 athletes, educating parents, mm. understanding how to navigate your child through sports so they have a better experience, right? The parents do, the whole family does, everyone around it. Yeah, and I think, you know, whenever you're able to do that where you, you're able to bring a family closer together because of that experience, right, you know, uh, and working through, you know, afterwards, like uh, maybe disappointment, joy, like, like, hey, you know what? We'll give this 24 hours and tomorrow, boom, okay, we, it's, it's time to, you got to move on to the next thing, right? And so I think that's the great thing that sports can provide if gone about it in a way of like, I'm using this as a tool my kid become the best version of themselves regardless of how long they play sports regardless of how long they're involved in it they can look back and say man because i played this i learned this which is helping me today because i played baseball i learned how to never give up which is helping me you know get my uh, high school degree to get get the job that i want the career that i want or the the life that i want right you know so that's why i think it's such a valuable thing is the the skills beyond the physical skills that you can learn to become the best version of yourself you know physically mentally emotionally and spiritually you know it's a big well, piece what you talk about too jason we talk about a lot is you know just that mindset of understanding more as a parent for me looking at my kids play sports and so i'm asking what are they becoming through the sport mm-hmm. what are they becoming who are they becoming through it who's the people that are coaching them What's the experience like? What are they becoming? Not so much the skill sets are going to play college, professional, whatever. That happens great, but what are they becoming through it? And something I want to kind of finish up on is this. And part of the, you know, the 40 athletes that we've gotten into, the four dimensions is how many times like we go through life thinking, I'm a basketball player, I'm a football player, I'm this. But we understand like, no, you're a spiritual being. And then we have this incredible mind we've been blessed with, but it's been conditioned genetically, environmentally at young ages. Your subconscious mind has been conditioned and not understanding like there's this knowing doing gap that comes through it. But then realizing, like you said, we have this physical body, Mm -hmm. the instrument of the mind, but these emotions that we have that are in these energy of our body kind of we, we think and. It's like we we think and feel, we think and feel a lot from the past. So can you talk about one thing as we wrap this part up, the four dimension becoming like not your identity sports, but also this aspect of mental fitness, not mental health so much, but mental fitness and what mental fitness is and what it really looks like. Well, yeah, you know, it seems like mental health has gotten a bad, bad rap, right? Everybody like mental illnesses with mental health, but a mental fitness, just like you train your muscles, like physically to get stronger. You know, you can train your mind the same way. And I think the best way you can do that is um, what we've learned is, is being present, like noticing like your breath when you breathe in and out the temperature of your breath, like hearing something from a far away distance helps you zone in and be present. And, you know, thinking that everything is working in my favor, like how is this benefiting me? Even in my challenging moments, something beneficial is going to come out of this. Right. And, you know, I think so 
training your mind to be able to handle situations and see them as opportunities and gifts. I think we've been told this, like if something feels like highly stressful or like you feel like you're a lot of fear or that kind of stuff, it's almost like if you're trying to lift like 500 pounds and it's just, it's like the moment is too big for what your fitness level is at. That's okay because you can still get through it. You can learn from it, but then you can still keep working on building that fitness, that strength, that mind muscle up because it can be trained similarly to like training your physical muscles, which was a concept that was, you know, until about, you know, two, three years ago, I was like, wait, I, I can train my mind how I want to think, how I want to, how I want to develop it. Didn't, didn't know that was really possible. It's kind of that inner game, right? It's the yeah. inner game. Living that it's, inside out. Just like you train anything else, like you can, you know, you can train your mind to work for you. Or if you don't train your mind, your mind will train you. And that's not uh, a good way. It tends to not lead to, to, to happy and successful things. So learning to train your mind, say, hey, my mind serves me. I don't serve my mind is a, is a great place to be at. Well, as we always wrap up, wrap up with the four cues with 40 athletes and four questions. So here we go, Jason. Lightning round questions, right? And answers on them. In your opinion, what does it mean to win in the game of life? I think it's a combination of of loving who you are so you can love others. I think whenever, because, you know, I think, What's it say in the Bible? It says, you know, the greatest of these gifts is love. So I think whenever you have love in your heart and love for other people, the resilience, the compassion, the, you know, standing up for yourself, the confidence, all of that funnels up to that one word of loving who you are. Because when you do that, then everything else kind of puts it into place. So I would say loving yourself so you can love others is the secret to winning life. Love. I love that. I mean, if we have more love, the world becomes better than itself. So the second question is, if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Now, I'm going to go fictional on this one because Ted Lasso is one of my favorite shows. And just spending time with, with Ted Lasso would be a lot of fun, in my opinion, because it's a great show. Hey, by the way, so I was at a soccer game. I got I to gotta break off this. So Grayson was playing a soccer game. The soccer coach, he's, he's kindergarten. They're playing a little three-on-three deal. Um, and the, the coach, you know, I appreciate volunteering, helping out. He does a good job, real positive with the kids. And so I, I got to know him a little bit. I said, Hey, coach Lasso, we'll see you later. And my wife's like, walking on, what'd you say that for? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, coach, coach Lasso is kind of goofy. He's like this and that. And like that, you know, how he is in the character, but I know it's not that the look of Ted Lasso sometimes it's who Ted Lasso is. Yeah. The love, the kindness, the support, the belief that he instills in, in his players. Positivity. The, yeah, yeah, I went up and talked to the coach the next day. I was like, hey, he just says that. He goes, no, I got that. I love Ted Lasso. I love the show and that type of stuff. So, and number yeah. three is what is the best advice you received from a coach um, you played for or worked for? Uh, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Pretty simple, but true, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's just that it, it goes back to like, you can, cause I've been a great positive thinker, but I haven't always been the best positive believer. Right. And, you, and I've learned you can think positively all you want, but until you like feel like you believe it's possible, that's when the magic starts to happen. So believing that you can and having the patience to allow it to happen when it's supposed to, not when maybe we want it to. 
Were you coached by, I think that was Henry Ford. Were you coached by Henry Ford? I think that was. I think that was one of the uh, quotes he Maybe had. in a past life, possibly. <laughs> you know. And he had to persevere to get the Ford, uh, to get the get the uh, car up and running and going. So number four is what's the one character trait or life skill that you would want in, you know, an athlete that you had in your team, uh, a kid in school, or uh, if you're hiring somebody to work for you, what would it be and why? Emotional intelligence. Because I think if you can understand why you're feeling what you're feeling and you have the tools to, you know, self-regulate, to uh, get yourself back to neutral, to think positive again, then I think that is a strong place to be at. And then if you recognize the emotions of other people and help them with what they're doing, you know, not be too triggered or, you know, realize whenever you have to take a time out, I think that is a huge piece that will help because maybe you have emotional intelligence. You're not only aware of your emotions, but you're aware of others. And then I feel like you can be a more empathetic, compassionate person because of that. That's so true. Well, Jason, how can people kind of find you, contact you, um, know more about your books, uh, be able to read more about you, get information on you? Yeah, my book is on Amazon. It's called Shattered by Suicide, Renewed by Resilience. How to you got your book? You got your book sent right there? You can put up against the screen? Man, you know what? I wish I did, but I don't. Oh, I actually ran out of copies, Jimmy. <laughs> so I need to get some more. Um, and then it's on Amazon. Um, and then 4dathletes.com is where you can find us and how we are using sports to make a significant difference in a positive way uh, for the lives of parents, coaches, and athletes. Well, Jason, I have to say this. Um, going back when I first met you, you know, like when you meet somebody, you don't really know about their life, right? And I, I always was appreciative that you working for myself and the organization, a lot of stuff that you did and you're a hard worker, had a great attitude. Uh, you're somebody you could be relied on, but I didn't know. And then when I knew it really opened me up to really, you know, just have more even empathy, compassion, but through the years, you really inspired me, helped me become better by your life and the example that you're living. So I'm thankful that, I have you as kind of like a brother from a different mother and you're in my life, but I'm appreciative of what you've taken kind of something that was a tragedy in your life. And you've allowed that to inspire you a desire from within to sit there and transform people's life to make not only the world a better place by creating these new generations, right? Better people, better humans that we become a better world. So thank you for your mission, your drive, and what you're doing well jimmy thank you for your belief in me as well and uh you know the mentor you've been the last 10 years as well it's been great uh, uh, one of those people that god put my life for a reason and uh i appreciate everything you've done for me as well well you have a great blessed day and i'm sure we'll be talking very very soon all right buddy absolutely man all right take care see ya